Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How often are UFOs reported in America? Are some areas more prone to sightings than others? What do these UFOs actually look like? Hello, and welcome to the 930th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM Radio uh, here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those high-level questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a guest you might know from our UFO conference panel shows, but this is her first appearance on the show in her own right. And we welcome Cheryl Ann Costa, who has been a submarine sailor, a talk radio host, a playwright, a Buddhist nun, and today is a retired security engineer for a noted aerospace corporation. She served in both the Navy and the Air Force, and we thank her for her service. I understand it's a rather distinguished record. Uh, Cheryl has returned to writing and has authored mysteries, novellas, and short stories, along with a popular newspaper blog and column. She is a staff writer for Wicca Magazine and a talk show host on Las Vegas-based KCOR Digital Radio. And today we concern ourselves with a rather formidable book, uh, the content of, of which is uh, our subject today, uh, co-authored in 2020 with Linda Costa, her spouse, USA, UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2020. So Cheryl Costa, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, it's always, always, well, actually, this is your first time on the show. I, f- I feel like you've well, been no, on... Well, no, a lot of panels we did. Right, like, exactly. Yeah, that's, Cheryl's that's, been on that, but this is a, her big debut, uh, you know, solo. <laughs> I know, that's why I, I, I feel like, you know, it feels like you've been on, like, like old hat, you've been on, on with us before. Well, we're but old this, friends. Exactly. Yeah. So, but hey, you know, welcome to you, <laughs> the first time on being with us, and hopefully, hopefully not the last. So I guess we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll hop right into it. Um, so for this book, you gathered data from over, you know, 167,000 UFO sightings. Or, I'm sorry, OFO sightings. Oh, UFO, UFO sightings. UFO sightings. That's a misprint. I was like, I was like, OFO. I was like, I don't even know what OFOs are. I was going to learn something new today. And uh, <laughs> Odd flying objects, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So what constitutes UFO data, and uh, what do you go, or how do you go about gathering it? Well, actually, um, a lot of people think I just go out there and, bit and peek, you know, Pick and choose, you know. And in fact, when we were putting the, assembling the book, um, the manager over at Staples, where I used to do temporary printings of, as we were progressing with things, uh, save ink on my printer, so to speak. It was cheaper to go over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "You took out, you took out all the kooks and nuts and crackpots, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, um, "How would I do that? I have no way of of, of doing that." So what what Linda and I have did from the beginning, actually when I back when I was writing my newspaper column, uh, I, I took raw data from both uh, MUFON and from National UFO Reporting Center. Mm. Okay, and uh, we we cut it off. In fact, the first book we did in 2017 went from 2001 to 2015, and cleaning up both databases and then. Making them compatible with each other was 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 a huge effort, okay. And things we had to do to clean up the data 
that took us a month to do, or two months, to, well, say a month to do then in uh, uh, 2016, I can do in a morning now. Okay, uh, certain other processes that took us two months to do back then, I can do in a day now. You know hmm. that type of thing. So we, Linda and I, were both contractors to the government in Washington D.C. Okay, for our careers in D.C. Uh, I was down there about 25 years. She was down there uh, 30. Okay, and we both worked for different companies uh, as, as they as they call us in D.C. Beltway Bandits uh, were contractors. <laughs> and the first rule of government contracting: do as little work as possible. <laughs> Now, that makes us sound like we were lazy. No, uh, what that constituted was we both understood the idea that if you do something that's arduous at first, keep good notes, and then after you're done with the notes and you've done your first delivery, and if it looks like something you're going to deliver again, uh, then you write yourself a very detailed process procedure. Mm. Okay. And we got to the point where our process procedure went through a number of evolutions. Like I said, things that took us months, months to do, I can do in a day now or a half a day now. Okay. And both MUFON's data has to be done one way. I had a completely, completely different process than what I had to do for National UFO Reporting Center. Okay. There, because there were two different formats. Yeah, okay. Right. The way the data was laid out. First thing I get rid of uh, was the actual sighting uh, story and you know, the, the write-up about, you know, hey, I was out in the field and I saw this and the dog was barking and uh, all that stuff, you know. Uh, that goes away first. All we really kept and all we were interested for statistical analysis is uh, what shape, what was the time, date, and year. That was it. Who, what, when, where, why. That's it. Hmm. Okay. And we really didn't keep the, the write-up data, okay, because it was useless to us. It's not anything you can quantify. Plus, it also reduced the size of what we were working with. And uh, we were able to, uh, once we got that cleaned up, uh, then there's other processes you have to do. do uh, I'll give you a little thing. Um, in both databases, numbers ran about the same. Um, Three and a half percent of the people who made entries never filled in the city that they were in. Hmm. Okay, fourteen percent filled it in but spelled it wrong, or oh, or, or or yeah, or they or they did it all capital letters or they put a little space in. You can't search on the stuff if you put a little space in before you fill out the word, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, so we had to go through, uh, you know. People say, well, why didn't you write a script? Hey, I'm a retired IT professional. And yeah, I tried to write a script a couple of times and. Uh, I couldn't make the scripts smart enough for all the problems that were in the data. So uh, I found ways to, I wrote scripts that helped me find the ones that were broken so I could just do a manual fix mm. instead of trying to let the automation do the fix because uh, there was no way to make it smart enough to do it and still um, uh, still not, um, what's the word I want to use, uh, grow old while I was waiting for it to do it. You know, right, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was a very arduous process. Once we got them together, both databases together. Now, when we wrote the first book, people asked us, well, how long did that first book in 2017, what we call the white book, same title except 2001 to 2015, um, how long did it take you to make it? 
and the the story was about eighteen months. Okay, um, and but but remember, we still both had day jobs. I had retired from Lockheed, and I was working for uh, part time for a newspaper, and I worked for um, uh, a well known bank uh, in their invoicing department. Well, you want to learn how to work with spreadsheets? Go to work for a bank for a year. Oh dear. Okay. They, they taught me stuff they never taught me in Lockheed. Believe me. Hmm. Um, so there's that. Uh, and uh, so basically, it was 18 months worth of weekends. Okay, that is what it really took us. Wow. Uh, it added up to about uh, 2,500 hours to do the first book. Jeez. Okay. And um, we probably put in over the next from the time of the first book. 2017 to uh, getting up close to 2020, we probably put in another 2,000 hours uh, massaging the data, things like this, and prepping some of the stuff, making some fixes that, you know, like the stuff where names of cities were spelt wrong, things like this, um, uh, cleaning that kind of stuff up in preparation for the 2001 to 2020 book. Okay, that was that was critical. Plus, we also played with other ways of looking at the data, different kinds of reports, you know, that type of thing. Um, when we were prepping the, when we figured out we were, we had this problem with spelling. Okay, the ones where they didn't put anything, we simply went into all the blanks and said unspecified. Okay, but that fourteen percent. Let me show you how big that was. Okay. Uh, 167,632, got to know that off the top of my head, times, uh, we'll call it 14%. Uh, that was, oops, that was wrong. Uh, 167,632, uh, and, uh, basically, uh, times 0. 0.14%. Okay, that was 23,468 records we had to individually touch. Wow. Okay, so what we did was in, um, I started in, uh, we knew the, we couldn't finish the book in 2020 because we had to wait till the end of the year. And we were in lockdown. What are, where else was, what, what else were we doing? Drinking on the porch and, yeah. and, uh, and yeah. watching streaming TV and eating way too much food. Yeah, we all went through that. Mm. Okay. I may, I have managed to lose the 20 pounds I gained, uh, during that lockdown. Oh, oh wow. Hey, congratulations. Huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you used I've managed to lose well, 40 pounds and I've managed to lose 40 pounds in the last, uh, uh 18 months. Oh, wow. wow. And uh, I'm back into dress sizes I haven't seen since the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me explain what happened. Um, Linda and I were starting to look at this thing during the lockdown, or, or during, that, during that March, April lockdown. And we decided, all right, it's time to suck it up, and um, uh, this is going to be hard. So let me go ahead and take the amount of database we had at that time, which was good up to about 2018, okay, and we got a golden mail list. Okay, we aligned it up with this thing, got it into like an Excel spreadsheet, and merged it in, but it made it a different color so we could sanitize it out later. Did a sort so that everything was lined up by state and city. So we were able to correct, go through and correct the city spellings. And if we didn't have an accurate county, because our old automation, 
if it read one of these places where the city was spelled wrong, it substituted in the wrong county with our original book in some cases. Hmm. Okay, so this was our way to clean that mess up. And also, uh, we figured, hey, while we're at it, let's add, add latitude and longitude. Let's add zip code. You know, because it was right there. Why not just put a couple extra, a couple extra fields out there? Uh, that took 800, that effort took from the middle of August 2020 to January, first week of January 2021. That was 850 hour effort. Okay. Now think about what that is. I actually, when I started doing that in August of, of 2020, uh, it was like going back to work at Lockheed again. Suddenly, Miss Retirement is getting up uh, seven o'clock in the morning, getting having her uh, coffee and her that type of morning kind of nosh, and putting in seven to eight hours five days a week. Wow! Correcting this, okay? And uh, it was an arduous effort. Best I could do was about maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand lines a day because you're doing it one line at a time or five lines at a time. Okay, it took all day, and like I said, it took six months to do, or uh, closer to uh, not six months, yeah, about four months to do, but 850 hours. We did another eight in 2020. We pulled down the additional information we needed for both databases, clean that up. Like I said, we got a process for that. Boom, 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 boom. Ran that through the same process. We would do the uh, uh, get the right cities, spellings, and lat launch zip code, all that stuff. And we would pull that, get that all put together, put that together in about three weeks, and then went ahead and started assembling the book. We did the whole, assembled the whole book in about 600 hours. It wasn't bad. We had, we had the thing out by uh, late spring, which was really record, you know, three, four months. It was really quite Amazing. remarkable to put it out. But we already had a template. We knew how to format the uh, the, the printouts, that type of thing, how, what kind of the sorts we were going to do. The hardest part was writing the narrative. We wrote the equivalent to like a, a college paper uh, in the beginning of the of the book to explain the things we discovered over the, the last five years of working with the data. We 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 discuss we discovered um, what we called the principal drivers for the UFO sightings. And then the secondary influences. Now, I'm going to go over those real quick for you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Principal drivers. Well, everybody always knee jerks. Oh, it's population. Look, it's a major city. Oh, yeah, Cheryl. No, no. It's principal. Okay. Principal drivers are population, temperate weather, leisure time, hours of darkness, and observer access to broadband. Hmm. Okay. Now, a lot of people say, what do you mean observer access to broadband? Well, our, there's a big push in Congress to get rural broadband out there, kind of like the old TVA, uh, TVA authority yeah, okay, I mean. type of thing, get it out there in rural. Well, that will be a boom to UFO sighting reporting because if they don't have rural broadband, they don't have easy access to report this stuff. Okay? Hmm. Okay, the secondary influencers. So this, this, the, the primary influ- principal drivers affect every state. Okay? Now, the secondary influencers only affect certain states. It would be very obvious why. Proximity to large bodies of water. Okay, so you got the Great Lakes states, maybe some of the major rivers. Uh, you got the, uh, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. You got the Gulf of Mexico. You got the Pacific Ocean. You get the drift there. Okay? Um, proximity to toxic. I got these next two from 
my colleague Tom Conwell, who I think you've had on the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Tom had correlated book from our, fir- our data from our first book, uh, proximity to toxic ecosystems. Okay. They, the UFOs seem to be incredibly the ET seems to be incredibly interested in our brownfields, our wasted coal mine towns, uh, dead coal mine towns, dead mining towns, strip mining areas that just left the way it was, um, a polluted, seriously polluted rivers and seriously polluted lakes. Um, uh, dead gas fields. Hell, uh, there's about 35 or 40 coal mines that have been on fire for a couple of decades. They're interested in those, you know. Mm. So th- that's a big deal. Toxic ecosystems. The other one was proximity to geological fault lines. Tom discovered that. Made major correlations there. I must caution your listeners. Correlation doesn't always equal causality. But mm-hmm. it's an interesting pointer, okay? And it was not coincidental. It was like this all over the country. So it wasn't just like one state or something like that. High visibility media reports. Now, we got that one from Project Blue Book. Back back in the day when Project Blue Book was around before 1968, before the Condon Report in 1968, that basically shut down the newspapers from doing anything. They just said, hey, it's all baloney. Don't worry about it. And nobody started, nobody was publishing local UFO sightings anymore. Or if they did publish it in a local paper, then it didn't ever make it up onto the wires. Or nobody if it did make it to the wires, it wasn't nobody paid any attention to it. Okay? So we have this phenomena that people think the forties, fifties, sixties and seventies were the golden age of UFOs. Okay? Because there's lots of articles out there about them. But the truth is we're in the twenty first century we're living in the platinum age of UFOs. <laughs> Okay, when we wrote the first book, people wrote us and said, "Why? Why did you 2001 to 2015? Why didn't you go back 40 years?" Okay, so we did with this. We didn't do the. We did not include that analysis in the pink book, the, the, the 2001 to 2020. But what we did do was. We added uh, added up. Mufan was very kind to give me a run from. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to. I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, from 1969 to 2001, uh, 2000. Okay, and there's 40 years. And the goofy thing about it was, once we cleaned up the data, we just wanted the magnitude. How many that, that year? The average magnitude ran between uh, for the whole country. Added up for maybe. 150, maybe 250 sighting reports a year. That 40-year period, 1969 to 2000, added up to 13,150 sightings. Now, that may sound like a lot. I've got that many for the country in just 2012 or 2013 Hmm. each year. Okay? This is what, this is the big untold truth. We try to get these numbers out and nobody pays any attention to us. They say, oh, well, that can't be. Those numbers are too big. Cheryl, they can't be. You know, uh, can't you just give me a case study from something in the 1950s, you know? And it's, it's, it's disturbing, uh, when they won't look at the numbers. They're afraid of the truth, if you ask me. Yeah. And if you ask Linda the first time. No. Now let me qualify something. People see me on these radio shows. People see me on stage uh, at these uh, conferences. Okay, 
Uh, Paul, you're one of the rare people who have actually seen Linda on stage with this stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She's got the real science degrees. Bonafide science, career scientist. Okay. She was the head librarian of the Environmental Protection Agency for 15 years. She worked at the National Academy of Science. Brilliant lady, got a degree in psychology, and she's got a library science degree. And people think of librarians as just stamping books. There's a whole art and science to what they do, especially research librarians. Okay, And she was the one that suggested that we do a book like this. She was the principal author for the first book. She was the principal researcher for both of these books. She set the tone. We're going to do this, 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 and this. I am the intelligence person. I am the analyst person. So I did all the mechanical stuff of using uh, old school intelligence techniques with modern tools. But she set the standard and the roadmap for how we were going to build the book and what we were going to share. This is what you need to understand. And people see me all the time because I got the top hat and the cane. I got the arts and entertainment degree. And I'm the one that can go out there in front of 5,000 people. And Linda's more of a shy flower. But if you get her out there in front of that audience, she's got two machine guns on her hip and she's going to let you have it. You know. <laughs> um, so I make this suggestion to you. When you want to talk to Linda, have her back for her own one-hour show with you because okay. she will give you a talk less about the numbers like I will, and she will give you a talk about the art and the science of what we were trying to do and where it was, where that science came from. Mm. Okay, uh, She makes a good analogy. Back in the 60s when they started the Environmental Protection Agency, President Nixon started the Environmental Protection Agency. And back in those days, there was no such thing as a degree in environmental science. Everybody had degrees in everything from language to education to biology and chemistry, and that was it. Okay? Uh, hell, information security. I was an IT security specialist at Lockheed. Okay? Before 2001, almost everybody had de- in those departments had degrees in English, teaching. Uh, me, I had a degree in you know, entertainment writing, that kind of thing, you know. But we, we, we worked in this field. After 2001, suddenly everybody came out of the woodwork and decided this was going to be a good field. Before, we couldn't give a job in IT security at a corporation away. People thought, oh, white socks and, you know, guards and fences and white socks. That's what they thought. Mm. After 2001 and, and, and 9-11, suddenly everybody was an expert in 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 information security and those of us who've worked in the field for years decades in some cases were just quietly pushed out Hmm. interesting okay well the same thing happened in the environmental protection agency they had they 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 built up skill over a period of time and eventually colleges caught up with them and started teaching environmental science and things like this mm-hmm. but um, there's also a thing called politics so yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. but yeah. Linda can get into that she'll never work in that field again because she was a whistleblower in DC and um, uh, she literally saved the environmental protection agencies uh, nine nine libraries but she'll never work in DC again mm. Well, we'll have to have her on the show. Why don't we you take should. Our, our mid-show break at this point? Go ahead. And then like to get into some uh, some questions. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. 
We'll be right back with Linda Costa, so stick with us. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on ON Radio, 1240 AM, 99.5 FM. And Ron with Linda Costa. We're talking about an unusual asset. Cheryl Cost, I'm sorry. What, what, well, we were thinking about Linda, uh, and I'm really old, so give me a break. Hip, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, we're talking about uh, an aspect of UFOs we ordinarily don't get into, which is the data and what it's all about. So let's get to a question from our good friend Peter Shelley in Bogota, Colombia, who was one of our guest co-hosts from time to time. Indeed. Then take it away. Yes, and Peter starts off with, uh, have you discovered UFO statistics that contradict logic? For example, Tom Conwell, uh, whom you know and we've mentioned on the show already, has found anomalies in Colorado and Utah. He says he has found too many sightings for the population there. Have you found these and any other anomalies? If so, what are your ideas about them? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I have seen some strange anomalies. Um you know how I mentioned before, people seem, particularly these producers that call us up from, oh, we're going to do a program on Netflix or something, you know, and uh, they want that they then they come to me and ask me my my case studies. I said I don't have case studies. I've got one hundred and sixty seven thousand six hundred and thirty two case studies. Right. Yeah. Okay? Exactly. Okay. Um, but I said statistically, we can weed things out. Okay, mm-hmm. and and I do that frequently because people ask me, well, you, you got to take out the kooks, nuts, and crackpots. Okay, I, and I say, okay, fine. I can throw seventy percent of the sightings away and still blow your socks off with a really cool number for the twenty years. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, and on a yearly basis. Now, regarding the anomalies, I often tell these producers instead of worrying about where people always ask me, where's the hot spot, Cheryl. And I have to look at them and say, um, is that, you mean, a physical location where they show up a lot? Uh, is that a particular season when they show up a lot? Mm. They said, what do you mean? UFOs have seasons? I said, yeah, they do. And, uh, and, and then they said, and is it a particular year? A particular shape? You know, UFOs aren't just one thing and they're just, 33 different shapes out there, you know. Right. So this is what I say to them. Okay, I've identified somewhere, depending upon how detailed you want to get, I've identified 50 to 150 individual one-day events. Example, 2008, Indiana. Daily average in the United States in 2008 was about 22 sightings per day overall. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, that sounds like a lot. It does. On April 16th, 2008, there was a spike to 60 sightings that day in the United States. Hmm. So I did a breakout, okay? Did a breakout in most of the states that were associated with onesie twosies, additional onesie twosies, more states had a sighting that day, mm-hmm. okay? But Indiana, the average is maybe three, maybe two sightings a week, maybe about four to six sightings a month. Mm-hmm. 
pretty lackluster. In fact, uh, Indiana, I uh, should qualify that Indiana is, uh, Indiana is, hang on. Indiana is only number 15 in the country for sightings. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right. Um, they had 25 that day of that 60. And guess what? They were concentrated to two neighboring counties and 12 municipalities. Okay? Mm-hmm. They got local reporting, but it never bubbled up to national. Okay? Because I was able to Google those dates and look at press for the next week or two. Mm-hmm. Okay? I've identified somewhere on the order of about 75 of these one-day bursts that were in one location. And try to get, I tried to get MUFON investigators to go look, uh, go back and research it. I mean, we got people out here re- researching something from 1964 or someplace, you know, and hey, we're going to reinvestigate that. I said, how about going out and investigating one of these one-day events? Hmm. You know, go out and rent a local VFW or American Legion Hall and invite everybody through the paper, invite them, and then tell me what you saw. You know, no, 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 they're not interested. And I, this bothers the hell out of me because what's the big secret? And especially the fact, and I'm not throwing stones at MUFON, they're only 40% of the data. New Fork is 60% of the data. Okay? Consistently. Okay? In fact, um, Back in early 2000, remember the numbers fell off about 30% a year from 2013 down to 2018. I mean, uh, everybody was saying, oh, my God, uh, Space Force chased the aliens away, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and I kept telling people, no, it's part of a natural cycle. There's a 60-year, six to seven-year cycle, up and down, up and down. If you look at it over a period of decades, it looks like a little lizard crawling across the lawn, you know. Mm. And um, I told people, they'll be back in 2019 or 2020. The numbers started ticking up a little bit in 2019. And then end of February 2020, I get a phone call from George Knapp. He says, is your phone ringing off the hook? And I said, no, I've been working on something else in 2019. I'm just waiting for him to come back. You know, I'm busy on something else. And uh, he said, would you take a look at it? Well, I went out to National UFO Reporting Center's back pages Got the year end, uh, the monthly totals for, at that point, it was January and February, and I, I stuck them into a m- computer model I had built. And uh, I called him back 20 minutes later and said, hey, George, this looks like it might be the best year since 2013 or 2012, which was, those were peak years. I'm going, wow, they're back and they're back in spades. And uh, so that was, that. that's the thing people don't understand. There is this cycle. Okay, especially if you look at the uh, overall 60-year cycle from 69 right up to 2020, if you plot it out, it's real tiny for the years from 1969 to 2000, and it gets bigger with the 21st century stuff, but it's still that pattern of humpy hump, humpy hump, humpy hump, humpy hump, okay? So, but, okay, back to our thing. Uh, there are places that are anomalous that, Goofy things will spike up for one day, but I wouldn't call it a hot spot. It was a one-day hot spot or maybe a two-day hot spot, but it's not a regular thing. Well, they, they come back like the, uh, the, 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 the birds that come back to Capistrano. You know, I mean, it, it's not like they do that. UFOs don't do that. Hmm. All right. Is that we have another, another question from? We do. We have, a, well. we, have a, we have a handful of them. Um, and... Our, our good our good buddy writes to us. Uh, have you found anomalies in the sh- in in the shape statistics as well? 
Yes, I have actually. Um, uh, in fact, uh, what Linda and I are getting ready to do, um, if we had printed out the data down to the municipal level, remember mm-hmm. we did all that trouble to correct the city spellings. Mm-hmm. Okay, what we wanted to do was a, a a book that went right down to the municipal level. Problem would be, it would be the size of two. Uh, I'm going to do this wrong. Two Oxford or three Oxford dictionaries. It would have been about 5,000 pages. Can't do a book like that. Okay. So what we're getting ready to do now that we're moved, now that we're settled, you know, um, we're going to produce 50 individual state books with resolution right down to the zip code. Wow. And we are going to produce uh, 29 of the thir- several of the shapes are um, unknown. Anomalous, that kind of thing. But uh, actual definable shapes, there's only 29 of them. So we're going to do 50 individual state books and 29 individual shape books. I've actually got, and I'll probably send one, at least one here on the chat for you. Uh, we've been able to plot every single shape that is out there by zip code, and you'll see the density. Okay. Let me give you a bigger number. United States has 3,200 counties, roughly. Okay. We had sighting reports over the 20-year period in all but about 80. Hmm. Okay, and those 80 are like really out there in the barren far west in mountainous regions. Okay, so uh, in zip codes, it varies. You know, here's another goofy thing with shapes. This one an anomaly on shape. Uh, there are some states that have not seen certain shapes. Okay. And there are some shapes that see certain shapes regularly. Okay? So, yeah, that's why we're going to print these books. And uh, Linda and I have the attitude, we're going to put these 80 books out, and we're going to probably go dark. <laughs> yeah. And and, and we're, we're going to put this out. But this is as much as we want to do. I've got other projects I want to do before they put me in the sod. And, and I, yeah. I want to move on and do that. Well, now... We have to ask you this, and I should have given you a heads up on it. And if uh, you don't have the information to hand, that's fine. But we're based in Rhode Island, which is the smallest state in America. It's 37 miles uh, long, uh, wide, and 48 miles long. Do you have I got any the number, data? I got the numbers right there in front of me. Aren't you wonderful? Well, a share them if you would, please. Okay. Um, right off the bat, Rhode Island in the last 20 years ranked number 44. Okay. Hmm. It's in the bottom 10, okay? Uh, over 20 years, to re- i got to say this carefully, the reported UFOs. Yes. Okay? Uh, Rhode Island had 717 reported UFOs. Now, I'm going to give you another funny number. People kept asking me, well, what about the unreported UFOs? We had no way of measuring You anticipated initially. the next question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This, is, this was a hot one for us. In two, this is when I was still writing my newspaper column. Uh, 2017, Fox Pictures did a movie, kind of a horror film, uh, about some kids that get abducted, uh, and they set the whole thing against the Phoenix Lights. Okay, it was a, it was a good idea for oh, a plot. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it was a terrible movie, but it was a good <laughs> idea for a plot, yeah. you know. But, um, so they did a poll. And they got the same results most other polls had got, you know. 36, 37% are believers in UFOs, 42% are on the fence, and about 17% say it's all baloney. Okay? But they asked an additional question. And the other question was, have you seen a UFO? None of the other uh, 
polls we had seen since 2012 asked that question. Okay, 16.74%. Well, suddenly I have a metric. And it didn't jive with the numbers in the report, you know, that I had from both reporting services. And we played with a couple of different ways. So I set it aside. I wrote a newspaper article about it, but I, I set it aside. And then in September of 2019, Gallup published a poll, similar questions, and they, by golly, asked that same question about have you seen a UFO? And it came back up with that 16% number. Okay? So with 16%, we went back and looked at it and said, okay, 16% of adults. Okay, the, the United States population uh, at that time, uh, 76, according to census, 76% are adults. Okay? So we took seven, uh, that number and we did every state. We got into a spreadsheet. We dropped in the sightings and we went to census and looked up the, popu- uh, the adult population for every single state and put that in a little column. Okay? And we cranked it. And we got this weird range population. Some smaller states had more sightings than you would have thought for their population. But the bottom line was this. As little as 1 in 150 people reported what they saw, as much as 450 people, uh, 1 in 450 people reported what they saw, and it formed a bell curve, okay, and up at the bell curve up here was about 100, uh, I'm sorry, 250, I usually say, the real number is 255, but I say people, 1 in 250 people reports what they see. So, if we take Rhode Island, Okay, uh, 717 times 250, you should have had in Rhode Island 179,250 sightings. Wow. Over 20 years. Divided over 20 years, it would be about, uh, about nine, about 9,000 sightings a year. 8,900. Well, the local listenership sends us pictures all the time. <clears throat> and here's a, this kind of leads into the next question, Cheryl, is, um, and, and that this occurred in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you had a chance to look at the video we sent uh, yesterday or the day before. Uh, that was, to us, rather dramatic. Uh, ben, unfortunately, wasn't there. He um, was uh, here uh, to do the special two-hour show that day, but we yes. had... Uh, some of our mutual friends, Alexander Petikoff, uh, Shane Searway, a bunch of other people were there. Mark D'Antonio from MUFON was supposed to have been there and will suffer a terrible uh, anguish for the rest of his life because he couldn't make it and didn't see this. Uh, but that particular uh, sighting, we have not yet reported that. We uh, Mark was vetting it, and Mark, of course, is the uh, mutual UFO net- networks or MUFONs. Okay. Uh, you know, expert in uh, video and photo analysis, etc. And um, we, well, we are going you want to the report stats it. for PA. That was uh, Dubois, Pennsylvania, okay. uh, May twenty fifth, okay. twenty nineteen. I, I can get it. I can get it down here. Um, what I don't know is their county. Uh, it's uh, Clearfield County. Okay, good. I can look that up momentarily. Yeah. Okay. First thing you need to know about Pennsylvania, it's in the top ten consistently. Hmm. The top three are California, Florida, and Texas, and they've been in that spot since around 2006. Hmm. Okay, then after that, it's Washington, New York, Pennsylvania. Arizona has consistently been number seven. It's weird. Huh. Uh, Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois. And they play musical chairs year after year. 
Okay. Okay, but they're almost always in the top 10. Okay. Pennsylvania over that 20 year period had 7,046, uh, 43 sightings, uh, averaged out over 20 years. That was about 350 reported, re- reported sightings over each year for the 20 years. And let me pull up Pennsylvania here. Oh, by the way, people are always asking us, uh, are you going to make this into an ebook? And the answer is no. Hmm. Because um, I took the first version of the book and I made it into an ebook, but I only ran it on my own Kindle. Hmm. Okay, and it was impossible to use with any speed because I was um, I was on a radio show one night and I was trying to look things up and I'm pulling things back and forth and trying to make them get bigger and all this stuff. <laughs> it di- it just didn't work. It was just better to put the whole works in an eight and a half by eleven book. You know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, what was the county? Clearfield. 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 Well, Clearfield is not in the top, is not the top 20 counties in the state. Okay. And, uh, let me get, uh, let me pull, I think I have another print. Oh yeah, I do have another printout. It'll take me a moment to pull it up here. Okay. Clearfield. Okay. Pennsylvania. Da, 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 that shapes. Okay. Pennsylvania. Almost there. Part of our Usually before the show, I know what states you're going to talk about, and I can I can pull it up. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's our fault. Yeah. No problem. It's no worries but, about uh, that. Yeah, that's uh, one the back of, that's of the book, our big flap area. We do print out we do printouts for every single shape, state and their shapes across 20 years, and then in the uh, let's see, state by volume. Okay, here we go. It's individual states. I'm trying to find the county printouts here. Where are they? And we should have them right here. No. Oh, yeah, I do. Yes, I do. No, I don't have county. Oh, there it is. Okay, got it. Okay, I apologize. Okay, and uh, it would not have been faster if I pulled up the electronic version, believe me. Sure. Uh, because uh, um, because we're getting ready to publish another book, some of the processes I've got running in the background are tying up all the cycles here. Yeah. You say Clearfield County? Yes. Clearfield County. Uh, over the 20 year period has had 46. No, no, not 46. Had 22 of those, uh, 7,000 sightings. Okay. And the vast majority of them, there's two spurt, spurts. Once there was a, a, a bump between 2007 and 2011, well, over those three years. Okay. And there was another bump. Um, in the um, in the uh, 2014 to 2019 time frame, okay? okay. So there were two two humps over the span of 20 years. Now we have uh, neighborhood meetings down there with with people. You know, 30 and 40 people will show up and say that they have had sightings. Uh, and it also with the Bigfoot is involved in there. I know you don't get into that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, also, especially of, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. My God, they've had some amazing things happen in Pennsylvania with Bigfoot. You know? Yeah, well, we we've seen some of them ourselves, but we've only been working on that since 2016. But maybe we we can get into that maybe in some other show. But uh, there's another question from Peter, I believe. Please. Yes, indeed. And Peter has for us. Uh, in prior interviews, you have said you were uh, going to look at international data. Were uh, what were the results? <laughs> Hit a nerve there, Peter. Um, 
Okay, international. Yeah, we tried. We tried. Uh, we have two national reporting services, and there's probably a dozen. Uh, there's probably two dozen mom and pa uh, collecting agencies. Okay, but the ones we looked at were copying stuff from New Fork or MUFON anyway. Plus, they had a few independent stuff being sent to them. Okay, but uh, I use primarily MUFON and New Fork since it's the bulk of the data. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to contacts that I had both in Portugal and in Germany and in France, and. Europe may be about the size of half the United States, but they're not. Nobody is organized over there. We, we, uh, the, there's no MUFON or New Fork consistently over there collecting this data. Okay, and uh, I was able to get data out of uh, National UFO Reporting Center, and I know MUFON has some international in there, but because it's so small, I don't think it's an accurate picture. Okay, um, I would say that about 15%, if you just capture a year's worth of data off National UFO Reporting Center, uh, 10 maybe, uh, not even 10, uh, I'm going to say about 8 to 10% might be internationals in the raw data. Okay, but the way they don't give you a column for the country, it's actually included in the write up in the what they call the write up area. Mm. So we've tried to write code to capture this stuff because the country was always in parentheses, that type of thing. And um, it wasn't accurate. But you know, I did do some research in it. Um, they got a lot of stuff going on, but I don't think it reflects the true volume of stuff. In fact, uh, go to England and it's all all dependent on uh, Ministry of Defense data and they've stopped putting data out. Right. Okay, from what I, my my contacts over there, and I'm getting ready to launch a um, uh, on the third of February. I'm getting ready to launch a um, a mystical program with a UK outfit, okay, streaming outfit. And uh, right now, my face is plastered all over Eng- uh, London, you know. So, uh, <laughs> on a double decker buses, that's what counts. Right. Uh, hey, I'm on. There's a building, the tallest building in London. It's called the Shard, and they've got a huge post a, a banner up there on top of the shard 300 feet off the ground uh the the poster for the program has been uh, on the display board at wimbledon for the past two weeks oh, that's great mm, i'm in cool. every subway station bus station a friend of mine is a lawyer he was over there doing some kind of work copyright work and he came back and called me up and says cheryl your face is all over london you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's terrific um, but the deal is, I, I've got contacts over there, and I've been asking questions, but no, none of these countries, nobody's taken up the gumption to say, saying, we're going to start re- being the point of contact for Portugal or for Spain or for France or something like this. Um, and, and nobody's done it. Uh, and I couldn't get consistent. I did find a really good database from Germany, but they refused to do a translation on it. And running it through a tr- translating software when it was in a, like a database type thing, oh, yeah. oh. It was ugly. I mean, I had a dump of it. This is back around 2015, and I, I had a dump of it, and I was looking at it. And we tried to run translation against the data, you know, like in a spreadsheet, uh, and it didn't work. Now, didn't we're, work we're burning well. up this hour big time here, but tell us where people can get this great book and where they can find out more about your website, et Okay, Okay, uh, we have three books up there on UFOs on Amazon. Okay, we're available globally on Amazon. Uh, you, if you go to Amazon to search for books, you do Cheryl, what a cost, uh, Cheryl Costa, uh, so you go UFO, 
C-O-S-T-A, or uh, UFO, Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, Costa, C-O-S-T-A, and three books will come up. You'll see a white one, which is our, our book from 2017. You'll see one called UFO Beat. It's all 238 articles that I wrote over the seven years for the Syracuse New Times. And the big pink book, uh, this one right here, uh, you can't, they can't see it, but it's a big pink book. Uh, that book, uh, is the one with the latest and greatest information and you can get it there. And if you order it, they'll probably have it to you in under three, three to five days. Most people have told me they've gotten in two to three days. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to be, well, I'm sorry to say I don't have it yet, but boy, we're, we're going to get it. I'll tell you that. Mm. So, uh, just, uh, in our last few minutes. You know minutes why the book here, is pink? What's that? You know why the that? book is pink? The book is pink. Yes, okay. Because somebody told us in 2000, we didn't know about COVID in 2019. Right. Okay. Uh, we were called by the usual suspects in D.C. that said, you know, if uh, Senator Rubio gets this funny bill he's got attached to something that will pass, uh, we might have congressional hearings in 2020 or 2021. Are you girls prepared to testify before Congress? Because you've done the only statistics since Blue Book. Yeah. And we talked about it, and having both been contractors, we spent most of our careers trying to make sure we did things that we did not get in front of Congress. (laughs) There you go, yeah. So, okay, we decided that since we were already planning the new book, we said, okay, if we end up in front of Congress, and some congressman or senator is going to be up there thumbing through uh, our book while we're we're sitting there testifying or something like this, we want them to know this book was made by a couple of women, so we made it bright fuchsia pink. You can flag in an aircraft with this book, <laughs> and, and and for you guys in the studio, that's what it looks like, you know. Yeah, well, so those, it, those watching on video uh, will be able to see it, but we'll. Uh, I think we're we're, we're going to put a talking points page with a picture of it. Yeah, by all means, you yeah. pull it down off Amazon and post it on your page. But basically, uh, our books are available on Amazon, and as we start publishing. The individual states and individual shapes books. Mm. Um, I'll drop you guys a note whenever uh, a couple of books come out. We're trying to do them by Excellent. size because you know the limiting factor to putting a book like this out is the 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 time consuming part is the cover. Mm. It's driven by you can't be more than ten pages bigger. So if you got a three hundred and fifteen page book, okay, your cover thing will go from three hundred and ten pages to three hundred and twenty. If you go over into two hundred three hundred twenty, uh, you got you gotta get a different template for the sizing of the oh, thickness exactly. of the paper. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it, we're going to be trying to put them out based on the size of cover. So it won't be in any order of states. It'll be in order of size. We're probably going to start with the smallest ones first, like the Dakotas and Rhode Island and that type of thing, yeah. and uh, and then work up to the bigger ones. Uh, California, the top tens are going to be a pain because they're going to be almost 500-page books. Well, keep us in the loop because we're, we're going to be following this. We're going to have you back on uh, regularly uh, w- when these come out. But just uh, we've got another few minutes, maybe two minutes. I'll keep the answer short. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I probably should have started with this. But when when you consider a sighting, does it matter if there is interaction, you know, abduction or whatever, or is it just sightings that you're seeking the data about? Or, uh, or this is going to sound like differentiations. Jack, this is going to be like Jack Webb and uh, uh, Dragnet. Just the facts: shape, date, time, state. Okay. That's it. We only get, get gather the quantifiable data. Mm, okay. Uh, we we don't look at it whether or not it might be fake. Whether or not you know, I looked in. The, in 
National UFO Reporting Center once, just, you know, the description was, it came down in the middle of our football field, and a guy got out and said he was Gorgon from the Orthodox <laughs> Galaxy, and he's going to conquer the world, you know. I mean, I've seen my share of that stuff, too. And if I write off one, if you really want to say, God, how many do we got to throw away, one to two percent would do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Remember when I wrote my newspaper column, I was in those things every week looking for something cool to talk about. Yeah. Well, I must say that you and I are probably about the same vintage, uh, Cheryl. So we'd remember Dragnet, but some of our people might. But anyway, uh, they can look it up. Well, what a terrific conversation! Thank you so much for being with us, and we'll uh, make this the first of many shows. And our best to Linda, and uh, keep up the great work. And again, thank you for your service. Thank you. And, you know, I'm going to come out with a new book on mysticism um, in about, actually, we think it's probably going to be launched in about two weeks. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, yeah, it's called uh, Magical Musings of a Rogue Witch. <laughs> and I teach the basic fundamental mechanics, strip all the robes, crystals, candles, and incenses oh, away Facebook. from it and just talk about the mechanics. Yeah. Very good. Um I'm sure jealous because it takes me five that. years to write a book and takes us about ten. Yeah, right. We write it together. Well, great work. We'll be in touch off the air as we always are, and thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you for what you do. Yeah, thank, thank you for, for what, what you, you do. do. <laughs> yeah, we did that in tandem. Yeah, we right? Yeah, it's, it's like, it's okay. like we do this for a living. So, <laughs> like Linda back on her own if you want to talk to Absolutely. Side yes. Okay. Okay, let's get to our announcements. Uh, ben, take it away. Yes, and uh, we have we have, we have we've, we've got a couple of things going on, and uh, uh, we've uh, informed the organizers, or we've been informed that the uh, organizers of the Supernatural Bowl uh, debate that will be on uh, February fourth at the Pine Bush UFO and Paranormal Museum in Pine Bush, New York, uh, that they have not been able to find any scientists or professors who are willing to debate us and our colleague, yeah, uh, Linda Zimmerman. Death of us. Yeah, probably. So the event might not take place. Uh, but, <laughs> hey, take heart. There's other things going on. Yeah, we do look forward to, to in April, to the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, which runs from April 10th to 26th, 2022. Mm. And we'll provide more information as these dates approach. And that's uh, organized by Tom Spitaleri and company, and nothing keeps them down for long. No, no, not at all. And you can visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, where you can find out, uh, or you can find all of our thousand hours of our regular shows, including special broadcasts, since 2008 from CBS Radio, uh, our Achieve Radio, and w- and here on WOON, AM, and FM, including those that have been restored to the archives uh, at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can also hear many of our broadcasts on the major podcasting platforms that includes uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, all of those places you can find us on there as well. So what's on the hot seat for next week then? Well, uh, so that's uh, January 30th, Jesus, powering through the new year. Uh, we welcome Dr. Jeffrey Long to talk about the uh, sh- cheery subject of death and near-death experiences. Okay, well no time for our quote, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.